Choa, I have a question for you today. And my question is, why? And I, I feel like this is going to connect to our main idea. Depends on how you answer this, I guess. But why are you still teaching after all of these years? What is it that keeps you waking up, going to work, teaching, rolling through, why, why is this something that you keep doing? Many people, especially now, we have teachers quitting in droves, people taking early retirement, and you don't seem to ever want to stop. You work probably more than any. You do volleyball stuff. You cut or you know, coach you, you referee. You do this. You got book clubs going on. You're helping your parents. You have literally 9,000 things on your list, and you still show up. And you teach every single day. So my question is, where does this motivation come from? Why do you do the things that you do after all of these years? Well, I think I enjoy being with the kids. But actually, the truth is, it's about the money. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> I got rich off of this. No, not really. Yeah, you're filthy <laughs> rich after just, all these years. Yeah, filthy rich. I'm still trying to figure out how to make ends meet. Now, I um, I, I really enjoy it. I think I enjoy the, the moment, like... Um, when the, when the students kind of, the ones that are struggling and they finally get it or, and I've already seen some of those at the beginning, we had some of the resistors. I think we talked about that at the beginning of the year. And there are several of them that have just come on board and they, they're starting to shine and they're starting to realize that, Hey, I got something to offer. And I think, I think when you see students who, that you feel like you're making a difference in, I think it's what, it's what energizes me. So I, I really enjoy the kids. I have fun. I, I I think I have fun with the kids, and um, you know, I mean, we here's one or two that would prefer you as a teacher, but other than that, because that's what they tell me, they go, "Why can't we just be in uh, Mr. Chastain's class where they have fun?" I said, "Dude, because we're learning here, <laughs> not really." Right. But uh, the truth is, I just. I just love being with the kids. I like learning myself. I've learned every year. I like the challenges. It keeps me going. And I like planning my lessons and trying to figure out what to do and solve problems. But I think for the most part, it's got to be the kids. And uh, just, I don't know, I I just have always liked it. I mean, I, I, my mom and dad were in education and I think I've shared that before that one of my favorite times was when I would go up there with my dad when I was younger and we'd walk the schools. And so I've been in school all of my life and I think I just don't know how to give it up to be honest. I mean, what else would I do? I'd probably, if I did retire, it would be so I could go do something else with education. That's what to I was be saying. honest. You've you've said this before in like just our own conversations. You're like, yeah, when I retire, I'm gonna go teach at a different school. Like, <laughs> like that's, right? That's literally your answer. Yeah, I mean, if I if I retired, uh, the only reason I would retire is because it would be economically the right thing to do. Because you know, there's a certain amount of time in the way our retirement system works that you're better off if you go ahead, but. Once you lay off for about a year, you can get back into it. So I think during that time, I'd probably work at a place that doesn't um, feed into our retirement system. And then, uh, but I think if I did, I would teach, um, if I had the opportunity somewhere, I would probably go at the high school level and try my hand at that again. And uh, 
and then maybe with even the honors kids or GT kids where I do some sort of GT program because that's what my master's is in. I really love working with those kids as well. But actually, I, I like working with all the students. I have it. There's not one I don't really like to work with. Even when they're a challenge, and sometimes they are, and I get upset. And the only reason I'm upset is because I know what they're throwing away. I'm not upset with the kid as much as I'm like, oh, I just want them to do better because I want more for them than what they want right now. So I, I see where, so I try to see where they're going to be and look at them that way and not like they're acting now. Does that make sense? I try really hard not to do, but not to look at them like they are now because I don't know what they're going through, but I do know what they can be if they just try. And so I try to have those conversations as often with the students as possible and uh, things like that. I like them to, yeah, I think some of the things you, you, you accuse me of going down rabbit holes. I just want to bring that back up. I know this is the (laughs) third podcast. I'm still upset by that, but anyway, some of my rabbit holes is so that I can so I sometimes I'll go there because I really feel like it helps the students feel good about being smart and they like knowing something that nobody else knows so sometimes I might go down that way so that they can you can just kind of see them they get energized when they feel like they've learned something that nobody else has learned and so it's kind of that kind of uh kind of makes the kids feel like wow I know something you know so sometimes I might go that way but uh, no, nah, I, I enjoy I enjoy teaching and all of it. I love all of it. Well, ladies and gentlemen, if you want to hear more about that backstory and you haven't already, there is a Teach Me Teacher podcast episode where I talked all about this subject with her. But sorry <laughs> if you just heard my child scream in the background, but it's episode 112. Back in the day, that was season oh, three. Right. That was a while back. Season three a- when we were partners. Well, so partners about, in a different that, aspect. So is that what, about three years ago? Yeah, just about, because I'm in season oh six gosh. right now. But I wasn't in teaching then. It was probably I mean, around was this teaching, time, too. Just, yeah, probably it was. I could see because the date. I think I it was when I decided room. to go back into into the classroom. It was. Uh-huh. That was. It was right at that time when we were when we were having those discussions about you going back. And that yep. was... That was after my episode 111, where I talked to a teacher who had this uh, resignation letter that went viral. I found her um, by asking about uh, on the Teach Me Teacher Facebook page with all the educators over there. I said, hey, I want to talk to this teacher. Does anyone know her? And then, of course, someone did because teaching is such a small community. Got me in touch with her. And then I had a podcast with her talking about that. Fun fact, and I don't think I've said this anywhere because I've been waiting for to have her on but i don't know i think the craft and draft audience deserves this because it's kind of fun but she that girl that resigned she went back she messaged Did me she? yeah she messaged me a few years later and was like hey i just wanted you to know uh i went back into teaching and um she said something about our conversation guiding that i don't i don't believe that i was pivotal in that but i think that conversation and Kind of the the thinking behind that. It led her back into it. So um, pretty interesting. I don't know if she follows the work at all. She knows about Craft and Draft, but it's very interesting to know that she's back. I've been meaning to find her again so we could have a follow-up, but just I've been waiting for the right time. You know, certain, certain things just have to marinate for a little bit, but it's pretty interesting, well, right? Well, that is, and I think, I think right there uh, is the power of working with teachers as well. I mean, ju- if you can take somebody and walk them through their own issue or their own problem, because sometimes it could be, 
you know, like I had, I had a teacher friend, um, that I've been kind of mentoring and, and still am. And, and she, she and I are really good friends, but, um, she just needed a new, uh, a new landscape, if you will. And now she seems to be doing really well and enjoying it and things like that. So I just think that sometimes just working with somebody or just lending them an ear at the right time makes a big difference, even with kids and with teachers. Well, and there, uh, there, there is a, quote that I really love when I had, uh, Hamish, not Hamish. Um, when I had, oh my goodness, teach like a Wait. rock star, Hal Bowman. I, I get the mix up sometimes, not Hamish Brewer. So Hal Bowman, I had him on the podcast. Um, you know, he's a, he's a fairly big speaker here in Texas. He does some outside of that, but he is, he's done a lot of stuff. Um, good friend. Um, I've run into him several times and we've, we've chatted back and forth, but he, when he was on the show, he talked about, uh, how certain teachers feel like they can be in such a toxic environment. They can be Mm -hmm. in a campus that they don't connect with, whether it's the teachers or the students or whatever. Um, and they can quit too early. They can decide that this profession isn't right for them, that, uh, they're, they're not made for it, or they've lost the fire for whatever reason. And sometimes you just need the change. Sometimes you just mm-hmm. need to shift a little bit and then, you know, you can find the the place where you are thriving and, and, and going forth and, and, and loving what you do. And I think, I think that's important for any teacher that's listening to, especially during this time is, you know, if you're miserable, it might not be the the profession. It might be the campus or the district, or mm-hmm. maybe you're just in a spot that you've outgrown, right? Like I've, I'm very fortunate that I am at my campus this is my seventh year at the campus, eighth year teaching, but you know, I love the, the campus. It's changed so much. And the people I got hired with, I'm the only one left of that group out of the 15 that got hired, uh, but I, there's a core of us that just stays, <laughs> you know, We're, and you know, I won't be there forever because I do want to be an administrator and stuff like that, which will force me to leave and do other things. But, um, I know it's a, a lot of people aren't like that. I've tried a new school and I didn't like it. And I came back. <laughs> so there's the, it is, it is what, and you've been in so many places, you've been happy, unhappy, and, uh, you've moved around and you've had that experience as well. Well, you know, I've been happy just about everywhere I've been, actually. It's just not everybody's been pleased with me. <laughs> so then that makes you unhappy. That's another and, thing, too. If you're a rock star mm-hmm. somewhere else, sometimes people don't accept you for your brilliance yeah. where you're at. Well, no, that that is the case. That that happens all the time. Uh, and so, you know, especially because, you know, I'm real big with that in our district with the Abydos and stuff like that. And so I've trained a lot of people in our district, but, um, but it seems like when I'm at a particular, it's at some schools when I'm at there, they're like, nah, she's not, you know, she, they don't really care. It seems, but I think most of the time, I think they feel intimidated. So they kind of stay away or they don't understand workshop. I think that was at the beginning uh, or they have their own agenda and they have their own friends that they want to bring in, which I think has happened a few times. So, but other than that, I mean, I love the kids. It's, it's really the students and, and, uh, but I think what I like right now where we're at is, you know, you're there and, uh, uh, our, our friend, Miss Burton's there and, and, you know, really we have a great team. And, um, I think this is one of the first places where teachers wanted me to come, not the principal. So I think that's made a big difference. It makes me feel 
And, and then come to find out, uh, several of the teachers that were already there already knew me from other things were like, oh my gosh, you're coming here. So really I had a lot of, I had more friends there than I realized or, or acquaintances that are close to friends, you know, or seem to appreciate me. And most of them, cause I've trained them or I've taught their children. So that's pretty cool. When you're taught teach, them or taught them, that's right. <laughs> you do. And, you know, and when one. you go, there is one for sure. And, um, but when you've taught them or taught their children and they still appreciate you, then I, I feel like that's, that's a lot of mo- that, that really helps you be motivated because then you it gives you some validation and some confidence. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this is the Craft the Draft podcast 12-minute intro, but hey, that's what we do here. On the, eventually, we're just going to have an intro that goes for like 40 minutes and then eventually introduce it. I have, You know, it's funny is I have a few podcasts I listen to where they just they don't even bother introing. They just intro at the end because they're like, whatever, we're, we're just going to go on a tangent. We don't even hit the topic we want to hit. And I feel like we're we're almost at that almost point. There. That's Pamela Chom, Jacob Chesday. We are two English workshop teachers here down in the state of Texas. Uh, we love what we do. We talk about reading and writing workshop. Craft and Draft is our journal system, our process of thinking through workshop. But on this podcast, we hit on that, but we also hit on big topics, small topics, and everything in between. We love answering questions. If you have one, you could submit one to us. But today, ladies and gentlemen, we're kind of talking, this is almost like a part two of last week's episode. Last week, you know, we talked about motivation. Um, but this week, we're going we're gonna to meander through the topic of apathy. Where does it come from? How do you handle it? What causes apathy? We're going to talk about that, how it applies to students, probably teachers as well. Um, but this is a fun topic. I really love this one because I think it. Uh, I think our the way we view this topic, the way we view apathy, I think really does uh, shine a light on our teacher beliefs. So walk along with us, ladies and gentlemen. This is Craft and Draft. All righty, Miss Ochoa. Apathy. Apathy. This is, uh, like I said five seconds ago, I, I really do love um, this topic just because it is, I, I feel like if you're in a room full of teachers long enough, directly or indirectly, the conversation is going to sway into this conversation surrounded by apathy. Students are apathetic. They don't want to work. Students don't care. They don't want to do this. They don't want to do that. Am I wrong? If you're in a room long enough with teachers, does it come down to that eventually? It usually comes down pretty fast if you really have a conversation. Um, They have an issue with apathy. Actually, we had a conversation about that just not too long ago. That's right. In our faculty meeting, they're worried about some people that are, some kids that are being apathetic. And I I question, and I think think the question that came up that made me think about this topic too a little bit, and kind of, I think when we talked about what topics to do, it was this conversation that kind of was in my head uh, when we talked about this. And that was, how much do teachers actually impact or influence apathy or the lack of it. So do teachers have an influence on whether students uh, can get out of apathy, I guess. And that is, I feel like that's a great question because we, so we had, I I remember this meeting very clearly, the the one you're referencing and a previous one. So the the previous one, previous one, Mm-hmm. Well, not even in at our campus. So this is this is back in the day. Oh, this oh okay. We we had 
we were kind of orchestrating this conversation as coaches and we were talking about our beliefs as teachers. And one of the beliefs that cropped up among the educators in the room was that students will learn if they want to, if they have the drive, they'll do it. Right. Well, you, you have a great memory because that was when we were all talking to those teachers we worked with. Isn't uh-huh. that right? It is. I remember it now. You I have a great memory. I, well, <laughs> you must be younger than me. <laughs> I, you know, what's funny is I only remember what I, what like makes an impact on my thinking. You know what I mean? Oh, like, okay. I, so if I don't care about something, it is gone the moment I walk <laughs> away. Um, but I, I deeply cared about this conversation because I have struggled um, with, with it communicating why I think that's wrong. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Cause sometimes like, like I, I will often believe something and then I find myself over months or years often is just f- figuring out how to articulate why I believe this, this putting the, the ball in the student court is is a wrong and almost futile effort in education, and I, I don't really know where it comes from. I think I, I think I've said this multiple times on the podcast, but I just I I don't know anything that doesn't further the conversation. I feel like is detrimental to what we do. And what I mean by that is the moment we give away the problem to something else, the moment we say. It's on the students. It's on the parents. It's on the state. It's on the federal government. The moment we do that, we disempower us as educators and we just sign up for whatever ride we're going on. And I think that, I think that's true in some cases and it might be true here. There might be people going, well, I've had apathetic students and I'm just, (laughs) and I have to sign up for that for them. So that it might be the case here, which we're going to have the conversation. But I think in, in so many cases, it's not true. And my argument is I don't I don't think I don't think apathy is a natural state of being for anyone. I think apathy is caused by systems, environment, uh belief. Um, but I, I don't think apathy is something that is is integral to students and, and how they learn at any age, but um, it's hard to argue that when, when I see it, I see it just as well as you do as other people. We, we have apathy in our classrooms, right? I mean, mm-hmm. we have students that come in and they're like, eh, I don't want to do it. Like I have a student this six weeks, for instance, who fa- literally had a 20 in my classroom, literally had a 20 yeah. and goes, ah, I'll do better next semester. <laughs> like that was- Right. I'm like, I had two, and she's like, she, when I talk to her, she just shrugs her shoulders at me. Yeah, well, I see it. All right, just leave me alone. It's like, dude, I don't think you understand what that twenty does to an average. It, it you're not coming out of it. Well, and then you know, on the on the grading side, just for people to know, like for students like that, I usually you know I'll bump up their average up to like a sixty. That way, they actually have a shot to make up and and pass. But the uh, removing from that, if for a teacher that might have a bunch of those, right? For someone that's working at a school where this is rampant, where there are tons of kids that do this, it is, even though I disagree with them, it is not 
out of the range of my own reasoning to accept, yeah, I get why you think this. I get why you think that apathy is something kids come with. And if they have it, then it's up to them to get out of it because you can't do anything. I understand where that thought process comes from. Um, I don't know. What about you? What's your thinking on this? Well, I mean, I can see where teachers would think that. And I think you you can't allow yourself to go down that tunnel, honestly, because then you're going to become apathetic towards the students. Does that make sense? And I think when you don't care about the students, it's not that you don't care about them. It's just like, well, I can't do anything about it. So it, it, like you said, you the minute you do that, then you've given away your power. And when you give away your power, you've you've actually dis, dis, disabled yourself as a teacher, I think, in order to reach some of those kids. Honestly, I think the question is, where does apathy come from? And I, I, I kind of, the thought that's in my head right now is that apathy comes from a series of disappointments. And I think what we're dealing with here is students who have had many disappointments. And the disappointments could be from home, where they trusted family and family turned their back on them, or moms walked out or dads walked out or or life took their their closest loved one, you know, and, and our death did, if you will. And um, so they, they've been disappointed that way uh, or let down. Uh, I think they could be let down by teachers. I'll, I'm going to bring my brother into this one. There was one thing that my brother, a teacher, had promised him that if he would get this project done, um, it was a history project, and he had to get it done. And uh, my dad, of course, assured her that it would get done. And my parents, I remember he was in high school, but my parents um, made sure he got it done and turned it in. And the teacher gave him a 69 and wouldn't budge. And then he couldn't play his junior football year and lost his his uh, uh, starting position over 69. Now, granted, my brother should have had it done. I mean, I think personally, but he was a little immature at the time playing around. But he did do what the teacher asked him to do. And then the teacher didn't keep up her side of the bargain. And he got real apathetic about that class. So I think sometimes that's a disappointment. I think we make promises sometimes that we don't keep. And I mean, if so I, I tell the students, are you going to pass me if I turn it in? And I, when, I, when I do that, I say, you know what? I know this. You're not going to have a chance to pass if you don't turn it in. But I'm not going to make a promise that I can't make. And so you turn it in and I'll grade it and we'll see where it goes. Do your best. And, you know, that's, that's typically I'll handle that. And I learned that from my brother. I just remember that being a huge situation. They still talk about it today. My brother's like 50, 55. (laughs) He's not, actually, he's younger than that a little bit, but he's over 50. He's an old man now. This concept of apathy created out of disappointments, I think it's a powerful one because, there are, and I think this is where this gets. Um, uh, I, I think this is where this gets more nuanced than I think a lot of people want it to be because mm-hmm. there is this disappointment. Like you, you mentioned some of the the, the life stuff that could just happen, like family relationships. Uh, you know, mom and dad, anything like that can cause this. 
I had that as a kid. My apathy really didn't come from education. I had fairly good success in education up to a point. Um, and then my life circumstances made me apathetic to goals, dreams, hopes, and stuff like that. Like I still had them, but I was very like, meh, you know, like <clears throat> it was, it was one of those things to where I lost faith in my dad, who is my hero as a kid. My mom mm-hmm. was quickly after that. And then I lost faith in just adults. And I was, you know, and it just, it was a, it was a cascading effect from there. But, you know, moving into something else is this happens academically too. There are kids right. who, I mean, think of the, and you, I mean, we, we talk about GT a lot on this podcast. It's, it's a passion of both of ours, um, for, for these kids who are, are, are uniquely special in certain ways and they get overlooked often or they get put into boxes or whatever. And some of them are the most at risk kids because systems aren't designed to help them. But even outside of GT kids, a lot of kids show this effort of creativity in an elementary classroom, in a middle school classroom. And the teacher says, no, that's wrong. You have to do it this way. Right. We, we are, school is uniquely great at telling kids what they're bad at, right? Like almost everything we have, every system in place is designed to say what kids are bad at. And if you take a student, uh, that is in the system long enough, they develop, um, kids that don't fit nicely into the system, right? The, the out of the box thinkers, the creatives, kids that have uh, neurodiversity, any student that doesn't fit in this narrow projection is, uh, at risk of being told every day that they're doing something wrong. You go to middle school where kids are changing classes. They have the risk of every hour being told by a different adult that they're doing something wrong, that they're wrong. And I, how do you not get apathetic about education if this is your norm? I mean, think of the most struggling students, the kids that, you know, we can look at our grades if we go to Skyward or whatever and click on and we can see every kid's or their grades in every classroom. Think of the kid that has a 50 in every class. What are they being told every hour? And and then you ask yourself, how is this kid not apathetic? Now, the counter argument to that is, well, if they did their work or they did this, then they wouldn't get to that point. But it this is the thing. Teachers, and this is my, my ultimate stance, and you already said this, is it doesn't help us at all to blame their actions as the reason. It doesn't. It might be true, but it doesn't help us. It doesn't help us at all because we can't do anything about that. We can't do anything about the attitude they come in. We can't do anything about the family that brings them to school or the the not the family that brings them to school. We can't do anything like that. And so in a way, it's like, well, I don't know. Like, I, I believe I'm right, but even if what I believe is an illusion, even if I believe that the the fact that teachers can actually affect apathy in a, in a positive way that we can be a positive force for this, even if that's wrong, it's almost a delusion willing to believe because it actually empowers teachers. I don't know. Have you ever seen The Watchmen, Ochoa? <laughs> <laughs> the Watchmen? No, I don't think I have actually. So I don't know if you would actually like it. Maybe it's a it's a comic book movie, but not in a true. It's not like Marvel. It's DC. It's it's one of the greatest. DC's okay. Well, it's one of the greatest graphic novels ever written. I think anyone that knows graphic novels 
will uh, will attest to this. It's it's right. it's it 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 broke genre norms. It's one of the ones that are considered like literary, like it's an actual literary piece. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a part at the end, spoiler alert for anyone that doesn't know The Watchmen. The movie's different, so if you only saw the movie, what I'm going to say is going to be different. But the main character. Uh, well, there's two. The villain and the main character. The villain creates this massive problem for the world to fight against, but it's a it's an illusion. In the ending battle, the main guy wants truth above all else, and the villain is no. We need this to unite humanity. And the ending theme, so to speak, is we even with this delusion. This delusion makes us. Better. It actually gives us agency over something. And that's that was a really random reference for this, but it's it's my point is even if I'm wrong, even if I even if teachers really don't have any positive effect on this, it doesn't help me to say, well, it's their fault. <laughs> like it doesn't put me in a better right. spot. No. No, I agree. I and I, I but I do think and I do think we can affect in a positive way. I think that we can change a child's life from being apathetic to caring. And I I do think that to me, workshop is one of the best ways to do that. As long as you provide choice, but you provide process. I think, um, I think sometimes when we grade only the end product and we don't consider the process that the students have taken, we can actually do that disappointment, the academic disappointment you were talking about. Because now one of my first years that I taught, I taught Texas history and this student worked so hard on his little uh, Alamo because, you know, we were doing Texas history and he created an Alamo and it was terrible. (laughs) 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 And I graded it like I saw it because I did not quite understand the importance of process. And, uh, you know, it was all pre, it was, I was a first year teacher. Like I'd only been teaching for maybe three weeks or four and, uh, in the middle of the year. So their teacher had left for whatever reason. And, uh, anyway, I'll never forget his crushed look. I always wonder if he even survived that moment because when I told him, did you not, did you not spend any time on this? And apparently he spent lots of time and he did it on his own without help from his family. And I didn't even, I had all these other people bringing in probably what their parents did for them. And I trashed his and I probably should have given him the 100 and gave everybody else a 50 for letting their parents do it. But the whole point is I'll never forget that crushed look on his face. And, uh, I just will always remember that. And so I kind of wonder if sometimes what we say to a student, the way we evaluate a student, the way we care in our classroom about a student, um, I think makes a huge difference. And I think that we are in a position of influence and of power. And we can either use our words and our actions to lift up or we can accidentally on most cases let them down and i think if they've experienced that over and over then they do get this attitude of why should i even do it doesn't matter anyway and i think that's what happens to these kids well i actually really love your point about process because i think this is i think this is getting to the actual concrete reason why i think apathy can be controlled by what we do in the classroom because you know like you said uh, when 
when your classroom is not just set up on a final product, not set up just on the answers they provide, on a final essay that they write, on anything that is summative, so to speak, but on the actual journey and the process. And when you're talking with kids every day and conferring and you're working with them through their pieces, you know, I have a student who is several grade levels behind. Um, he did his poetry project this six weeks. It was pretty bad. Like, it wasn't very good. Um, and, it, I mean, it was – anyone that looked at it would be like, this is a seventh grader. Like, there would be this massive question. But you know what? He worked on it hard. He worked on it. Right. I mean, he put in the effort. He really did. And I think that the the power of what workshop can do and and accepting this, accepting process as a part of the class – is that, you know, I could easily just set my standard. I could create a rubric um, and say this is this and just go through and grade it really black and white. And he would fail without a doubt. With with an, a rubric that was for the project that would happen, he would just straight up fail. Um, and it would be another thing, another person, another experience telling him, yo, no matter what you do right now, you're going to fail, right? Despite mm-hmm. the fact that he tried every day to do his best. Um, and I think this is why, I think that's where a lot of these systems uh, that we have in place just because of the way education runs. Um, it really is detrimental to a lot of this. And some people would argue, I think that the way we do it is lowering our standards, right? No one fails. If you lower the standard, I've heard many people say about, um, what we're talking about, but I don't, I don't think it's lowering the standard. I think it is actually addressing learning the way learning happens, right? You have kids in your classroom that are grade levels behind. You have kids that are grade levels more advanced. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's no one way students should be graded. This, this, uh, the way we talk about grades in general or assess learning is kind of outdated because it's, it assumes several things. It assumes kids are, they're all supposed to be at a certain level by a certain age. Um, it assumes all of them come from the same background. So they all have the same experiences. So they've all been exposed to the same thing. So they should all be at this level. Um, I mean, it assumes pieces upon pieces. And what we're doing is we're saying, you know what, this is nuanced. Uh, there are kids who, work extremely hard and still do what would quote unquote be a failing grade. And there are kids who are extremely smart that do incredibly less that still pass. And that I think is a, is a fundamental flaw with, uh, just the way the systems work. But I feel like this is what we're talking about. We're talking about providing, nuance. And in that though, what this does is now that I had that kid that tried really hard, even though he turned in something that was quite, I mean, it was really bad. It really was. But because I know the effort that went in and I talked with him every day and he was excited about this and he put something together and he created something, he passed and I got to build him up. And I don't understand I don't see how someone could see that as a negative in education um, if we're really taking in this human, the human element of what we do. So how, how did you, when you passed him, did you pass him with a 100 or did you assess him? I mean, like how, how did you weight his pro, pro, uh, 
progress? That's a that's a good question. I he ended up making an eighty on his final project, and I'll tell you why. Uh, he had all of the elements. So in my class, um, for my on level kids, they had the minimum requirements, and I, I let them go farther if they wanted to. But the minimum were they had to write two poems. They defined two poems or two songs that related to it, but it all had to connect thematically. They had to write a dear reader letter at the beginning of this that told me how it all connected and their thought process behind it. He did all of those things. Um, didn't do them well, but he did all of those things. Um, but he could clearly do this. And here's the thing. It's because his writing ability is below level. His reading ability is below level. But what I did is when he turned it into me, I had him come over and I, he explained every aspect to it. He explained his thought process behind this, how it connects to this. He told me the nuances of his, uh, poetry and stuff. And I asked him, I go, we had every time kids do anything in my class in terms of writing. Um, I always ask them what they think. I have an evaluation for him. And together we came to that 80 consensus. Um, he, he docked himself on some formatting because I showed him the model project and he goes, yeah, I didn't really do that. Um, we docked him on, uh, just the way he structured some of his stuff. It wasn't um, in par with our lessons, which is a requirement when they're self-evaluating uh, for publishing. Um, and so that's what we came to the conclusion of. So he thought it was fair. I thought it was fair. And he walked away super excited because he had a major test grade that was pretty good, and he fails every reading test. So this was this boosted up his grade, and he was excited for it. Well, I think I think what I really like what you did there is you included him in the evaluation process. Yeah, I wasn't some lord just lording over handing out grades. Right. Well, that's how I do it. I'm the lord that lords over. It. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> Sometimes if I'm out of time, that's what Sometimes I do. it does happen that way. <laughs> it really does. But no, but but in an ideal situation, 100% of the time that I think I think allowing them to have a say in their in their assessment, I think is huge. You know, even even if it's like uh, one of the things that that I like to do is include like when when I did my poetry project, which was a little bit different than yours, and they were creating an anthology, and in that anthology they had to collect poems still with a thematic view, and uh, they had to do an introduction, and but anyway, what we and then they had to do like an um, had a table of contents, an introduction, they had to do a little summary. They had to imitate the versa on the back of the title page. And so, but, but I'm not the one who told them all of that. What actually happened was we went through several books that were anthologies. And what the students did is they told me what needed to be in it. And so I told them we were going to model it after these anthologies. So let's write a list of all the stuff that's in every one of them. And so when we did, we went page to page, front and back, front and back. And so they're the ones who said, oh, well, it has to have, it has this, 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 and this. So, so we actually looked at it, but together we decided what to make it an actual anthology that mirrors or imitates the anthologies they were looking at. Uh, they came up with the criterion. And so, when they did that, I, you know, I kind of manipulated the amount of poems. But so from there, they created it. So I think sometimes you can have that up front or like what you did, have it at the end. But if you could have it in both places, that would be ideal. Yeah. Sometimes it takes a little time. But I think, I think including them in that assessment process 
uh, like you did. He left happy. He understood what he didn't do well, what he needed to do well. I like how you used a model uh, for this is what it should have looked like. Here's what yours looked like. Tell me what you should do different next time. What grade should you be assessed because of what you see here? I mean, they're included in that. I mean, that's empowering. And I think maybe that could be another aspect of helping with apathy is empowering our students to make decisions even on their own evaluation. I well, like that. And it takes time, right? Because I have students that, because that's a part of my publishing process is they fill out a form, but then we discuss. I don't put any writing grades in uh, that isn't discussed with the student, um, whether they want to or not. Some students would rather me just put it in because they don't want this to happen. They don't want the conversation to happen. And I go, nope, we're going to talk. We're going to have this. You're going to, we're going to have a back and forth on this. And they, res a lot of them, uh, who, the quote unquote apathy or apathetic students would, would rather me just not worry or not have this conversation. But what happens is they, they develop this ownership of why they get the grade they get. And I've talked a lot about how I, I try to put the, the, the work of school as far away in my classroom as possible. I don't want my students ever thinking they're doing something for a grade, although it's unavoidable because of the way our grades work. But um, I, I try to, to you know, cover it up a little bit and we have these great conversations and uh, what I, even my most resistant writers uh, will become in charge of what they do uh, and be excited about. It. They'll start writing stuff and go, I really think this is going to be something great. And they start being able to articulate why it's no longer writing to please me. It's writing because they actually see value in what they're doing. Right. Mm -hmm. Even if, you know, we, my goal is to always, whatever we're reading, we should kind of be writing in, in a general scope. Um, but I always leave it a little broad and allow them to do that. But there's always a core model for my students who really need it. There's like, if you are, lost. This is our model. And I usually do like seven because of the way my mini lessons work. But if they stray from that model and they can tell me why, that's awesome. That that I do not punish kids for, like if my student who was struggling, if he could have articulated why his formatting or the way he did things was different, then he probably wouldn't have lost uh, so many points. He couldn't because it was a different issue, um, which showed me there was gaps in his, his knowledge of just what we were trying to do. Um, and I felt that was fair in an assessment. But I have students all the time like, that manipulate what we're doing and they'll tell me why. And I'm like, sweet, love it. Let's go. And I, I think that is also a key part to uh, solving this apathetic piece is it, it, I mean, t correct me if I'm wrong, but it really comes down to what, what, what solves apathy in a classroom is student agency is agency over their learning. Their process is, is empowering them to actually do something with their learning rather than just serve you. I feel like the, the classrooms that are so focused on serving the teacher, that's where you have your most apathetic students. Well, I think so. And I mean, um, I think you've said this and, and you, um, said it to me once and I'm still kind of upset about it, but I'm, I'm going <laughs> to overcome it one day. <laughs> and that is, what are you doing in your classroom to make those kids want to be in there? Yeah. And um, so I think when you design lessons that incorporate all of those things that you were just now talking about, I think that is, that is key. 
And I think that's why workshop works um, because it allows an environment where students can be empowered, uh, where they can have time for that ownership and that time for experimenting and exploring and that time for conversation or, or conferencing like you have done. Uh, with your students. So I, I think, yeah. And I think another aspect, I was just thinking about this just now, and that is creativity. I think anytime you can allow for creativity, there's just something about creativity. It just helps the brain make connections because when they're, when they're being, when you ha- open up your classroom enough for them to be creative, that means they're creating something brand new from themselves. Does that make sense? I don't think there's a higher level of thinking than creating. And so when you can bring that in, then I think that's going to really impact because there's nothing better to see if you're really putting your heart and soul into something and you're really working hard on it because you really want to do it and you like it. You're not sure because you've never done anything like that before. But then when you finish it, no matter what type of project it is, and you're like, I mean, there's some self-satisfaction in that. And I think, too, when you're satisfied like that, then I think if you can create a, a room, a classroom that can encase in, in all of those things, then I, I think you probably will influence apathy in a way that you get rid of it. And as we said uh, last last time, motivate them. Well, here's the thing, and this is, I don't want to get too esoteric with what I'm about to say, but Uh it is, it is a part of how I really think about these things, which is, uh, I mean, when we start talking about creation, creativity, the human mind does it. We've been doing it. I mean, from the, just the, the remnants of history, I mean, from the, pyramids and and older right from cave paintings this is it is deeply wired into our structure as people as as humans to create to leave our mark to put our stuff out there to manipulate literally in many aspects the forces of nature to our will this is this is the destiny of humanity is is mastering our land and being a shepherd of this earth. And this is, this is such a core tenant of what we are. And I think that is why this creativity piece is so essential and why it's so detrimental to classrooms that are so focused on do this strategy, answer this question, write this exactly the way I told you to. If you don't do this, if you don't do this strategy, I'm going to fail you, even though you would have passed, even if you didn't do it. The reason why those things fail is because the the mind, the reason why apathy starts happening is the it our mind is wired this way. Creation is wired this way. I don't know if you have ever I, I so I've referenced the watch and I'm about to reference SeaWorld, so hang tight. <laughs> so it's a movie night, everybody. It really is. So SeaWorld, okay, stay with me. There is a movie called uh, The Cove. It's a documentary. Have you ever seen it? No. So it is about, The Cove is about dolphins, but it's about like how like all these things are captured. But then there's some, maybe it's not The Cove, whatever. That one's about dolphins, but there's another one that is connected to SeaWorld. But it talks about how it was one of the main things that talks about like how these whales in captivity, they... Uh-huh. Go ahead. 
Now keep going. Okay. I, I I know where you're going with this, but keep going. So they're they're they lose like their their fin literally like Droop. bends, it droops, right? Mm-hmm. And they start acting differently, and a lot of them act out, right? They kill these trainers and they they attack these people, and people are like, oh my god, these are bad whales or whatever. And it's like no, it's when you take a creature that is designed for something and you force them into a system or into certain boxes, uh, you get certain behaviors. You depress them. You create this apathetic, um, the, 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 literally this apathetic creature, right? We see it in nature. And then we wonder why our students come to us apathetic is because everything we're doing, uh, well, not everything, but in certain situations in certain classrooms in certain schools, we really do. It's like, no, you need to sit in this desk and you can't move and you need to sit here and you need to obey me and to raise your hand when you want to speak. You need to do this assignment. Exactly. If you don't do this assignment, exactly. I'm going to deduct points, you know, and it just goes on and on and on and on. And eventually you have this, generational apathy that goes from parent to child to child to child. And now you have massive gaps in achievement. You have massive gaps in wealth and you, and obviously this compounds and I know I'm talking in huge terms. So let me bring it back. This is what we're dealing with. So it's not just, Hey, how do I make my classroom more involved with people? It's what do people need? And I think it's creativity, choice, voice, agency. And I think we can do that. I think we can take even the most apathetic student, if you put them in a positive environment long enough that actually empowers them to take ownership, I think you can you can really uh, mend bridges between this apathetic nature and something that is more constructive. I've seen it happen. I have never had a student that doesn't at least move a little bit away from apathy and more into agency and workshop. I've never, it always happens. It might not be this miracle from one step to the next, but I I think it heals a lot of stuff. Well, I've already seen it in my room. I mean, even that person that shrugs at me and uh, she's doing this and and I already know her background, so I kind of know why it's happening. But, um, but the thing is, is she, She's now at this point where she's got herself in this hole that she's created and she's got to save face because I think some of the kids respect her for being the way she is because she's got some courage that they don't understand, you know, courage not to do something. Does that make sense? But so what I'll find her doing, it's kind of interesting is she'll be over there and she'll be riding on stuff, you know, and she'll be doing the assignment. So as long as I watch her, I can see that she's doing, she's actually writing that poem. But what she does at the end of the period is she'll take it and tear it out of her notebook. And then she'll she'll crinkle it, but she'll throw it away somewhere else, not in my room. And then when I ask for it, it's not there. And she shrugs her shoulders at me. But what's interesting is she's actually doing the writing because I've actually kind of snuck up behind her where she did not because I wear pretty quiet shoes. So I'm looking kind of over her shoulder. You know how you're monitoring your room and I'm telling you, she's writing some good good stuff. But she's got herself in a corner and now she's she kind of can't, you know, turn it in because she's she's built this uh persona, so to so to speak, that uh makes everybody all the kids they really look kind of up to her for her her uh you know I guess not apathy, but for her courage to stand against the man, so to speak. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> then she's she kind of like, mm, I don't care. 
you know, and they, they kind of gravitate towards her. So she does have kind of a power over people, if you will. But, uh, but I have noticed that she, she, now at first she wasn't even doing that. So that's why I'm like, so what is she writing over there? So I went over there cause there for a while, she just, you know, I think she responded to you more than she ever did me. And then, uh, here she'll kind of like one day she was walking down the hallway and she looked at my, in my classroom and waved to me and then kept walking with a smile. And I'm like, Hmm, I, I, I there's nobody else in the room, but she waved to me. I mean, that just, (laughs) so I think even if that's like kind of mild, I can kind of see that this opening it up and letting her do the things she wants to do. I'm getting something and maybe hopefully before the end of the semester, uh, this next semester that we might pull something uh, you know, more concrete out of her. But right now I've noticed she's kind of hiding the work. And so it's kind of interesting. So for people who are listening to this and they, maybe they're like, I don't know what these guys are talking about. Chastain referenced the Watchmen, some <laughs> sea world documentary. I don't know where this is going. Uh, I mean, what do you, if people are dealing with this, if they're like, Oh my God, kiss is just, so apathetic this year they're they're doing this they're doing that i mean what's your what would be your advice for someone that may be struggling in this this thought spiral that that maybe wants to break free of this uh what would you i mean what would it be because we've all gone there we've all had this this moment where we were like man this this kids just won't do it they won't do this how do you what would your be advice for someone to break free from that well i would i would i would have them like if I were coaching them, um, I would say, okay, let's just sit down and reflect over, over the things you've been doing. Let's reflect over your students. What do you know, you know, especially the ones that are apathetic and at what times do you see them a little less caring or what has nudged them in a more positive way? And then, uh, kind of see what kind of, kind of figure out something about them that they, that they know and, you know, maybe some kind of relationship, some kind of connection you can make with them. And you don't have to actually verbally make that connection, but just mentally know this is like that girl that I talked about. I kind of know where she's coming from. I know where her disappointment is. And so I don't necessarily want to like be in her face about it because that doesn't help at all, but I kind of understand it over here. So I try to create assignments that will maybe nudge her out of that situation. And, uh, so I would say, I would say reflect on your own lessons. Uh, are you actually including lessons that empower these students, empower your whole classroom? Are you including process in those lessons? Are you including moments where the students have ownership, uh, where they, and I like what you said, have a say in their own assessment and evaluation? Do they, do they get a chance to actually reflect honestly on their own work and participate there? So I would say any, and maybe even creativity, make sure that are you offering moments of creativity and uh, are you allowing the students uh, an opportunity to be involved in their own learning? I don't know. What would you say? I think I echo all of that. I mean, I, I think, uh, you know, a lot of my question is, it always goes back to the teacher for me. Um, it just, you know, it's, are you apathetic? <laughs> that's my, you know, that's, 
didn't think about that, but yeah, that that's that's my question because uh, we can get that way. We can be apathetic mm-hmm. about this. We have, um, you know, we only have so many re- emotional reserves. We can become numb to the problems that our students have, especially if you're working at a, a school that has a lot. Uh, empathy fatigue is a very real thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you can, especially over years. I mean, I, there I have worked with teachers who. You know, they they mean well, but they they're just so beat down by this or that, their lives, the systems, students, whatever, that they become so dejected from it. Um, so that, that's always my first question. Are you apathetic? Because if you are, they're definitely going to be. Um, right. And then after that, it becomes, OK, so you don't have to ignore the things out of your control. But what are the things in your control? What can you do? What can you do? It's like. I was coaching a, a teacher one time that had a bunch of zeros and my question, uh, very similar to what I asked you that one day that you brought up on the podcast. <laughs> but my question to them was, what are you doing that allows them to get zeros in your classroom? Like, <laughs> like that was, that was my question. And I, and I don't ever, those questions, this, I asked myself these questions, right? Like when I, I looked at my grade book, right? We're finishing up or we already did cause we're on Christmas break, but I was looking at right. my grades and I looked at the grades that were low and I said, word for word in my head, I said, what did I do to allow this to happen? And it's not me beating myself up. It's not, I'm not insulting myself. And I'm not insulting people when I ask that question to them. I think it is the most essential question teachers can ask is what systems that I put in place that allowed this to happen? What did I do? And here's the question. Your answer might be, I did everything in my power to help them. That might be the answer. Mm -hmm. So I'm not assuming even with myself that I didn't do everything necessary, but what I'm trying to do is force myself and other people to realistically and honestly talk. You don't have to answer out loud, but I think teachers listening to this, whether it's this week, next week, or 10 years from now in this podcast, and we're super famous and rich from all of it. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> right. when they're, when they, when they're asking this is, did you really do everything that you could? Did you? And if you can honestly say yes, then do what's necessary. But often, and this is the case for me is I go, you know, I could have talked to them more. I could have conference longer. I could have, I could have done more tutorials with them. I could have done this and that. And I think that humanizes this experience. It always makes me learn, but you know, I think if we can't ask ourselves these questions, I think that's why I think that's where apathy comes from is, uh, we, we can't control the kids we get, but we can control what we do with them. Um, and that, that's always my thought process with it. Well, I'm just saying I agree with all of that. So what is my problem? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. I'm not are... apathetic. <laughs> oh, this has been the Craft the Draft podcast. That's Pam Ochoa, Jacob Chastain. We talked about apathy. I don't know. What do you think? What do you see about apathy? I know we have a lot of elementary school teachers. What? what how does apathy happen to you guys? Where? What, what age level does it come for you? Does it start very early? Do you feel like it comes from other places? I don't know. Let us know. Always send a question. You can submit a question at craftanddraftworkshop.com. There's a tab right at the top where you can do that. Or you can just submit it to my DMs wherever if you follow me on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. Uh, but we we talk about this all the time. So this is your first time, second time, uh, 69th time listening to the podcast does not matter. If you enjoyed this, leave a star rating. It really does help us share it with your team. 
uh, and just spread the word. Craft and draft, ladies and gentlemen. This is what we do. Come back next Friday for another fantastic episode and know that we are here for you. <laughs> <laughs>